I think they are so isolated in their media consumption that they truly have no doubts that this is an election winner. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, December 19th. Today, I'm joined by Abby Livingston with the latest on the House Republican effort to impeach Joe Biden and why their GOP colleagues in the Senate aren't as enthused about the idea. We also talk about whether President Biden's re-election chances can be saved by the so-called reverse coattails effect and whether down-ballot Democrats can help bring young voters out to the polls. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Abby Livingston. We're going to talk about Joe Biden. We're going to talk specifically, though, right now about this vote in Congress moving toward a formal impeachment vote sometime next year. Abby, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? It's good to be here. I'm talking to you from the great state of Texas. Are you in Fort Worth? I am in Fort Worth in my childhood bedroom, so here we go. This is one of several episodes you've done from your Fort Worth childhood bedroom. I respect that. I appreciate that. So as we've talked about before, Abby, the House Republicans unanimously, unanimously, no objections, voted to move forward with an impeachment inquiry. This is not an actual impeachment vote. This is also different from Kevin McCarthy's call for an impeachment inquiry. It seems like some of these moves by House Republicans are just sort of intended to throw a bone to the base without actually doing anything. But um, what what I do want to ask you about is something that Lindsey Graham said over the weekend, loud Republican. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, He was he was on one of the Sunday shows and kind of changed the subject when he was asked about impeachment. And some other Republican senators have sort of said similar things. But he's like, I'm not really thinking about impeachment. There's no smoking gun here. Uh, We'll see. He's basically saying, Lindsay's saying, like, this is something of a distraction. He wanted to talk about Israel and Ukraine, He's, you know, as, as, a, as a foreign policy hawk does. But what's the disconnect between, like, say, if a Republican senator like Lindsey Graham, who's like rolling his eyes and House Republicans who are ferociously moving forward with impeachment? Is it just theater? Well, I think specifically when you mentioned Lindsey Graham, I'd point out He used to be in the United States House of Representatives, and during his tenure, he was a House impeachment manager in the 1998-99 impeachment of Bill Clinton. So he lived through that, which did not go well for House Republicans that year. In 1998, they lost seats, much and they thought they were going to gain seats. So that's been the cautionary tale of impeachments ever since then. I think there's two things going on. I just think even if, you know, some of these listeners think Lindsey Graham is the most, you know, right wing person, the Senate is still exponentially less right wing than the House. I think the other Mm -hmm. thing is because we've had so much turnover in the House and there are many reasons for that. 
one of which is obviously Donald Trump has run off a lot of moderate or pragmatic House Republicans. But also, I mean, just in that context, so many of them are junior and they don't remember that impeachment. And I think they are so isolated in their media consumption that they truly have no doubts that this is an election winner. Um Mm-hmm. Troy Nels, a congressman from the Houston suburbs, basically said to reporters last week, a reporter asked, what do you have to gain from this? And he said, Trump 2024, baby. So I think that many of them genuinely think this is a good political move. I think our instincts are that that may not pan out and that history has not proven that. But I think that's the biggest thing. I think also the Senate has to deal with this if they actually do impeach Joe Biden. There will be a trial. It will eat up Senate time. So I, I think that is the biggest differential. But I thought it was interesting you brought up Lindsey Graham with the context of history. Yeah, no, it jumped out at me too. And look, and Lindsey's also, I mean, as critical he's been of, of Biden and Democrats, there's there's a famous video of him crying from back in 2015 that my my friend Scott Conroy helped shoot when he was working in Huffington Post, where he's like talking about what a good and decent man Joe Biden is. I mean, there's some like warm feelings there uh, behind the scenes between really <laughs> Lindsay wise. and Biden. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, you you also noticed something else on the Sunday shows this weekend from Debbie Dingle, uh, the the Democrat from Michigan. What what jumped out from her comments to you? Yeah, I was I was watching Meet the Press this weekend, and she came on. And if, if your listeners aren't familiar with Debbie Dingle, she's a congresswoman from uh, Michigan. She's sort of one of the big political fixtures of the Michigan delegation. She's the widow of John Dingell. She has been in Washington for many, many decades preceding her uh, time in Congress. And she's sort of a the kind of Democrat who I would believe talks to Republicans and can have conversations with them that aren't loaded and incendiary. And she she went on Meet the Press over the weekend and told Kristen Welker that Republic, House Republicans had told her that um, mm. the evidence wasn't all there, that their arms were being, quote unquote, broken, which I interpreted as there was arm twisting going on to vote for impeachment, which helped the unanimous uh you know, show of the conference. And what I just found so interesting was that it was Debbie Dingell who said it. And she's not the kind Mm. who gets wild-eyed and goes straight to the MSNBC camera and says whatever she thinks is on the minds of House Republicans. I I truly believe she talks to them and hears that. And what also kind of hit my ear on that was I've heard that quietly from Republican operatives that, you know, there's this sense that once you make this move for impeachment, it's a runaway train and it's an unstoppable thing Mm. and this impeachment is going to happen. And I just, I did not detect that sort of sense when I made some calls at the end of last week, which was very, very different from House Democrats in 2019 and 2021 when they impeached Joe Biden. You knew this was going. You knew that they felt like they had the evidence and they were ready to go and that this was led from the bottom up. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, I also am like you. It's like the men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing. Like if a House Democrat is talking about House Republicans, like usually those people are just so far apart at this point. But Dingle, she's got the goods, I feel like. And one more thing just to note uh, before just glossing over the politics and the, the horse race and the poll numbers of all this, like Lindsey Graham is, is also correct. There is no smoking gun. There's been a lot of uh, innuendo and chum thrown in the waters by the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees, but nothing that is direct proof that Joe Biden profited off of Hunter Biden's 
businesses in any way. So that just continues to need to be said. And and that's something that I feel like is assumed with Puck listeners and readers, but I also need to get better about saying that over and over again. Oh, <laughs> so. I, like I said to you in a recent podcast, like most of the press needs to get better about this because like they, I, I just keep reading clips where Washington-based news organizations and reporters are writing articles about impeachment, 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 and they're just saying impeachment, Hunter Biden, impeachment, Hunter Biden, corruption, Hunter Biden, hookers, Hunter Biden, drugs, Hunter Biden. And like, they're also not saying un- until like a few paragraphs down, at least there's not evidence of this. Uh, so I feel like that context is kind of missing. This is why, you know, there's just there's just a lot of noise out there. And I think that is part of the Republicans political goal here. I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about a glimmer of hope for Joe Biden amid his really ugly poll numbers these days. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. In Monday's edition of The Best and the Brightest, Abby goes through some of her impeachment reporting that we discussed in the A Block. I feel like A Block Abby is a TV news term. Uh, like, did we we say that we, we said that at, T, at CNN all the time? Did they say that at NBC? Because I feel like sometimes oh, I yeah. throw out TV jargon and people might not, <laughs> people might not get it. It's like it's two X TV <laughs> producers. Yeah, it's shocking. So Long the live first the segment, sit room and John King USA. That's right, JKUSA. Star JKUSA was our email distro at, at CNN. For people not aware, A Block would be the first segment. I'm sure you figured that out. B Block, we're talking about something I wrote in The Best and the Brightest, which is the idea of reverse coattails. The reason I, I wrote about this was I've been writing about the youth voters sort of souring on Joe Biden lately, uh, Gen Z their feelings about politics in particular. This is something I've just thought about a lot, partly because of my work at Snapchat. But I wrote a piece last week about all of Biden's bad poll numbers and sort of had toward the end this notion of how young people out there continue to think it's their duty to vote, even if they're not super fired up by 
politicians. Um, Gen Z in particular skews like 63-33 Democrat-Republican in elections. Um, They really helped Democrats shore up losses on the margins in 2022 and help them maintain seats in key races in key states. But Amanda Littman, the Democratic strategist who runs a group called Run for Something, which recruits young progressives under the age of 40, a lot of women, a lot of people of color to run for very local offices all over the country. She started this group after Trump won. You know, I've known her for years. She was a digital strategist for Hillary and and, and, and Obama back in the day, done a bunch of statewide races. She pulled out that section of my story and tweeted, reverse coattails will be the story uh, of the 2024 election. So I called her up to talk about it. She made the point that if people show up to vote Democrat for local elections where there are Democrats on the ballot, school board, county commissioner, state legislature, city council, state senate, that could help net votes up the ticket. The theory of coattails is generally that the guy at the top of the ticket, the woman at the top of the ticket, inspires people to vote, just check the box down the ballot for governor, senate, whatever. She is saying that because young people have such a commitment to voting, and care about the issues, maybe more than the candidates, that if a Democrat is running for county commissioner in Georgia or Texas, and they want to do something about rent, you know, that could bring local people out to the polls. And there's no way they're going to leave the box for president unchecked. They'll just vote up the ballot. I thought this was a pretty um, compelling theory. And the reason I thought you might be interested in it is she was bragging about all the candidates they've recruited in Texas. Because Democrats in Texas obviously haven't won a statewide election in like 20 years. But, you know, she's thinking about party building. And if you build a Democratic bench by getting people elected at the school board level, if you get people elected in the state house, you know, you can fight for issues like abortion and climate change. And you can secure some of that sweet federal money coming in from the Inflation Reduction Act. Obviously, Abby, the Texas legislature is Republican controlled, but... I don't know. It's an interesting theory. What do you think about all that? I think it's really interesting, and I'm going to nerd out on you. Yes. What, the first time, yeah, I know, get ready. Um, the first time I ever heard that term, reverse coattails, was from former state senator Wendy Davis in probably mm. early 2017-ish. And what she said to me was, she ran for governor in 2014, and she saw reason for optimism in Beto O'Rourke's campaign, which at the time was very uh, long shot in perception. And it was because there were so many people running for state ledge and Congress in Texas in districts that were previously <laughs> believed to be long shots. And it's something I've obsessed about and thought about. And I asked Congressman O'Rourke about it, and he totally agreed. I mean, on the phone, he was like, yes, yes, yes. And it was in a state like Texas with as weak of a Democratic Party, that was sort of an organic army. I think she has a point. But where I think that point runs into some trouble is that we are still very early in this decade. Uh, This is only 2024 election. And that is when these redistricting lines are still really firm. And as the decade goes on and people move around and people sort, the lines become more blurred and it's easier to win districts. This is why we see kind of like waves come in of change of gavels later in decades rather than earlier. But she does have a point at the down ballot. But I, it's Texas specifically, because I know it better, but other states, I would argue, um, Colin Allred, who 
is probably going to be the nominee in Texas, but we don't know that for sure. The Democratic nominee does not have that army of mm-hmm. down-ballot congressional and legislative uh, candidates in the way Beto O'Rourke did in 2018. Yeah, no, uh, and Amanda, you know, she's sanguine about this stuff, but she's optimistic about the, the people that she's been recruiting in Texas, or her organization has at least. Uh, just one more note on this before we go. I asked her in my conversation, can you give me a concrete example of where reverse coattails had an effect? Uh, like any statewide race, any local race, whatever. They have lots of research on this at Run for Something. And she said that in 2020, they figured out that candidates down the ballot that were on, that were running in races where, you know, there weren't usually Democrats on the ballot, maybe in cities, maybe in rural counties, whatever, those reverse coattail effects yielded 22,000 additional votes for Joe Biden in Georgia in 2020. And as we know, that's nearly double the eventual margin. It's a hopeful theory, um, but it, you know, I tend to believe in it. Like there, if there are more competitive, compelling Democrats on the ballot, just up and down the ballot, that just brings out incrementally more and more people. And her final point, which is something I've heard anecdotally from, from young voters, is people are more likely to come out and vote for candidates who look like them, talk like them, <laughs> aren't 80 years old. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, they've put a real emphasis at Run for Something and recruiting Black and Hispanic voters, LGBTQ candidates, uh, Muslim candidates, women, and they only recruit under the age of 40. So, you know, that creates a pretty strong connective tissue, hopefully, uh, for Democrats, for young people, and, and might compel them to show up to vote, even if Joe Biden isn't making people fired up and ready to go, as Barack Obama used to say. And I think that, I, I mean, I have one reason for optimism for Democrats based on what I'm hearing, and one negative. Um, the, the positive is even the most panicked Democratic operatives who I speak with, they'll see this polling, they'll talk about how rough it looks, that there's contingency planning of what a house under a, you know, a, a, a Trump presidency looks like. And then they catch mm-hmm. themselves and say, and this is what I believe you put in your article, that abortion is going to be a driver on this in a good way yes. that is not detectable. But on the downside, I do think that there at least we don't know what things will look like 11 months from now, but there are people I have heard from directly who are so angry at Joe Biden over the Israel Gaza situation that they are saying right now, I will vote down ballot, but I will not vote for Joe Biden. And so I think that is a source of enormous concern, but things could look very different when it is a real head to head and it is a choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So again, I just think this is as unstable of an election as I've ever seen. And so I think these are all interesting ideas. I just don't know where things are going to land. Yes. And you are very good at urging caution, Abby, every time I have you on the show, politics is unpredictable. We don't know. We can't promise to know the future. And- Humility is uh, a virtue for journalism. That's for sure. Abby, thanks for joining me. Uh, go sit on the patio at Joe T's for me and have a have a margarita. No salt on the rim, though. I'm a no salt on the rim guy. Oh, I like the salt on the rim. I, yeah, most people do. Most people do. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Peter, for having me. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. 
please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.